Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. One of the things that's so good about Scripture is that it speaks to us in simple, plain, concrete language. It speaks to us in a, a version of Greek it's a, in its original translation that was like the everyday man's version of Greek. It wasn't like um, the Greek the philosophers used to speak. It was like the blue-collar version of Greek language. So the Bible was meant to be very simple. It's like one of those things where uh, if you really, really, really understand it, you something, you can explain it in a way that a fifth grader would understand. If you don't really understand it, you have to use really big words. The Bible speaks very plainly in very simple and concrete ways. So if we look at Shakespeare, Shakespeare, and I learned this from a, um, a book that the good pastor Eric Fairhurst gave me, that literary Bible. It is so good. I, I never knew this before, but it, in the introduction of this Bible, it says that Shakespeare and his works, his anthology of works, uses 20,000 unique words. Very expressive, masterful with language, but isn't necessarily concerned with everyone being able to understand it in the first reading. Some of you know John Milton. He was an English poet and intellectual. He wrote Paradise Lost. You might be familiar with that. In his anthology of works, he uses 13,000 different unique words. Again, a lot of words, not necessarily easy to understand and read, not plain speak. Difficult. You have to stretch a little bit to really understand his writing. But the scripture uses 6,000 words. God could blow us away with how smart he is. He could use really big, hard-to-understand words in Scripture. But he wanted it to be simple. He wanted it to be understandable. And he also uses a lot of concrete images in Scripture. And so one of the beautiful things about the passage that we're going to look at today is it uses very concrete imagery, just like the rest of the Bible. I mean, Paul says in Ephesians uh, 6, he talks about, he compares like living the Christian life and preparing for the day as a Christian. Um, he compares it with putting on armor, which a lot of, you know, they would have all been familiar with the Roman soldiers walking around with armor. So he, he looks at that, he uses that and says, that's what it's like to be a Christian. Each one of those pieces of armor represents a different thing for a follower of Jesus. Very concrete imagery. Jesus, of course, uses concrete imagery too. He talks about trees. If it's a good tree, it'll bear good fruit. If it's a bad tree, it'll bear bad fruit. He says, um, if you're worried about what you're going to wear, he says, look at the the flowers in the field, how beautiful they are. And Solomon and all his glory was not dressed as nice as them, so God will take care of you. If you're worried about food and provision, he says, look at the birds of the air. You know, they're taken care of. They don't have to store up food. Your father will take care of you. He, he says that he's like a door 
that you can enter into a peaceful and large pasture and eat as much as you want and enjoy the provision and protection of a good shepherd. He's like the door into that pasture. Very concrete language and imagery. When people say the Bible is difficult to understand, they probably haven't read a lot of it. Solomon in Proverbs says, uh, says, look at the ants if you want to learn about diligence. He says, if you want to learn about a, an undisciplined life, look at, look at a field or look at, a, look at a, a fence that is broken down and the weeds are growing over it. That's what a lack of discipline in life does to a person. Very concrete. James today is talking about the tongue. He's talking about our speech and he's comparing it to two very concrete things, a horse and a boat. A horse and a boat. So we're going to dig into, if you want to follow along, it's going to be up on the screen here, James 3. We're going to start with verse 3 instead of 1 and 2. We'll come back to that later. But we're going to look at James 3, beginning with verse 3. You can open up in your own Bibles if you like to mark those up, which is fantastic. Uh, you can follow along on the sermon notes or you can, you can look up here. James 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So he begins by comparing the inordinate power of the tongue or speech as compared to the rest of the body by looking at a horse. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to steer a horse without a bit in its mouth. It's not easy, probably not possible. I've tried it. When I was, uh, when I was in college, we would go to my friend's cabin and a bunch of us Guys would just get together and go down there and have a campfire and camp out. And uh, one time we were there, and my friend's dad said, as you guys are walking through the, the woods, there's, you know, there's a horse in the woods that um, it's fine. It's, it's not going to wander off, but don't mess with the horse in the woods. <laughs> Let the horse in the woods be. Uh, don't even go near it, and you'll be, you'll be good. Just enjoy the time. So I was on a walk back to my car to grab something, and um, I saw the horse in the woods. And I'm, uh, I'm, you know, college guy. I'm a basketball player. They're, they're, basketball players are a little bit arrogant anyways. It's something I'm still struggling with. And I see this horse, and I'm like, well, I can ride, I can ride the horse. I can definitely handle that thing. Now, there's no, there's no equipment. There's not a bit in its mouth. There's not a saddle. But I'm like, I'm going to show the guys that I can handle this. So I, I'm, I, I kind of just run up and jump. And I'm like this. And I, I'm on it, sort of. And it starts going. I don't think it, it felt like it was sprinting. It was probably just trotting or whatever you call it. And I am starting to panic. And I'm trying to curve it. 
I'm trying to steer it, and I'm trying to stop it by pulling on its entire body. And eventually it stops abruptly, and I kind of slide off and fall down, and, and that, was, that was the lesson. And I didn't try it again, but it was terrifying because there's this huge animal that I have no control over. I've got no power over this thing. And James is saying the way that you control a horse is by putting a bit in its mouth. A bit in a horse's mouth is an apparatus that's meant to train the horse to yield to pressure. So if you're pulling the rein right, the bit will, be, will apply pressure to that side of its mouth, and if it turns that way, the pressure releases. So that's how you, I, apparently you train a horse, not by jumping on it and trying to use your whole body to steer it. That doesn't work. James compares that to the power of the tongue, speech, in a human being. You can control, you can have this horse's entire body go where, wherever you want it to because of this little apparatus in its mouth. The next analogy he gives is the rudder of a large ship. So I have a picture of a, a rudder. That's a rudder of a large ship. So imagine this big ship that is driven by wind. And it's just a big piece of wood that's been assembled in this water and the person, the pilot can steer it and direct it wherever he wants it to go because of this little instrument in the back, this rudder. And James says, that's like the power of the tongue. The reason the tongue yields so much power is because it's what we use, obviously, to speak. Human speech is an incredible force of power in the world. God created the universe through speech. And he's given us creative power through our speech. Not like he had to bring things out of nothing. But we can have a tremendous effect on other people's lives and on our own life through the things that we say. It's one of the most powerful tools we've been given because we can speak to God and change reality through prayer. We can speak to one another and either bless one another, empower one another, release one another into our lives with greater courage or we can weaken and disempower and discourage people with our language. Speech is an incredibly powerful thing that we've been given. The Interpreter, which is a really good movie with Nicole Kidman, I think it's 2005. Um, in the movie, she's reading from a dedication of a book, and this is what she says, this is so good. The dedication of the book reads, the gunfire around us makes it hard to hear but the human voice is different from other sounds. It can be heard over noises that bury everything else, even when it's not shouting, even when it's just a whisper. Even the lowest whisper can be heard over armies when it's telling the truth. Human speech wields incredible power. And we can use it 
for good or for evil, which is what we're going to get into later in this extended passage in James. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 now. We started with 3. Let's go backwards and look at verse verse 1. With this understanding that speech is very powerful. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. That first sentence is a little bit alarming for me personally. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. How would you like this assignment? Every week, you have to stand up and talk for 30-ish minutes in front of 100-ish people about the most important thing in the world. God, in his ongoing pursuit of humanity and the way that humanity is supposed to entrust themselves to him and live because of his pursuit of them. It's the most important message in the world. And you have to talk about it for 30-ish minutes every week in front of 100-ish people, and you can't say anything dumb. That's really difficult. Now, add to that, you also have some attention issues. It's scary. There's a particular danger that comes with the territory of teaching, whether it be in front of, on a Sunday morning, speaking a sermon, or leading a Bible study, or talking to an individual about God. In every case, you are teaching. And the reason it's dangerous is because the more you speak, the more likely you're going to say something goofy. That's why, as some of you have noticed, when I preach, when I speak up here, it's a lot different than when I'm, like, speaking anywhere else. And a lot of you have noticed that. Um, I'm a lot slower. I'm a lot more deliberate. Sometimes I stop and think before I say something. And it's all because of this verse right here. I don't want to misrepresent God in any way. And so when I'm here, when I'm up front, I am a lot more careful about my words. Because I know that if I get off script, I end up saying something very dumb. I've done it here, and I want to do it less and less. Now, sometimes I do sense this freedom to move away from my notes when, the, when I sense that the Spirit has something that he wants to communicate that maybe isn't here. But otherwise, I trust that if there's something he wants me to say, most of the time he will give that to me as I'm preparing the message. After this message, I have a meeting with the kids' directors, and then I'm going to go home and change and go watch the Browns. Come on. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> okay, this, this group is alive. All right, I'm going to go watch, I'm gonna go watch the Browns. I'm, I'm going to Sean and Julie's house like I always do, and I'm going to be a lot more loose with my speech because I'm not preaching but I'm still going to be careful, and this is what I'm learning. And I think this is the point of this 
passage is to be sober, understand the power of speech. So I'm still going to be careful because I need to learn how to control this powerful tool that God has given us called speech. And there are all sorts of things that we should refrain from saying. And we're going to get into those things in the next few weeks. We've said plenty of times that a citizen of the United States has total freedom of speech. That's not the case with a citizen of the kingdom of God. We don't have freedom of speech. We have to be thoughtful about what we say, thoughtful about how we say it. Our shepherd team meets every month, and our management team meets every month. Our management team is filled with people who know a lot about property, property maintenance, how to take care of stuff. I don't know a lot about that. I haven't thought a lot about that, so I don't talk a whole lot. Well, probably, I still probably talk more than I should, but I don't talk a whole lot. But when it comes to the shepherd team meeting, something that I've been studying for 23 years, the spiritual vitality of a community, I feel like I have a lot to say, so I overspeak dramatically. So we had um, a member of the shepherd team challenged me in a very loving way, in a very gentle way, and said that you are very difficult to stop when you're speaking too much, and you speak too much. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so we tie, so here's what we did. I'm going to show you the results of this. We actually, we made an audio recording of our shepherd team meeting. Oh, he put it up. All right, we made an audio recording of our shepherd team meeting. And we timed, and I went through and literally timed how much everyone spoke. Now, I, I preserved everyone else's innocence. But I, I wanted to show you that this is not something that, I mean it, this is something that I'm really trying to work on because I dominated the speaking. I spoke more than everyone. And I'm beginning to see a pattern that this is a real struggle for me. And it's also a struggle for a lot of Christians. You exert power and control over people with your speech. The more you desire power and control over people, the more you will speak. So when, when, you, when I just say something like, I'm just a talkative person, you can say, well, you can repent of that. We can say that to each other. Just a talkative person, great, yeah. Okay, so that's one of the ways that you, you are sinful. You can ask the Spirit to restrain you from being such a talkative person. Here's a great proverb. Proverb 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. That's ESV. They're going to keep it classy. They're going to keep you know, the language and the imagery nice. ESV is not going to be too harsh, too rude, too in your face. But there's another translation. Don't put it up quite yet. There's another translation called the NLT. That's the New Living Translation. And some people are snooty about the New Living Translation. I think it's actually really good. If you're, if you're looking for something to read to get used to reading the Bible, the NLT is fantastic. You know, you're not going to write a theology paper with the NLT, but it's a good translation. 
And I like its translation of this same verse. So the ESV says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Let's see what the NLT, how the NLT translates that. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> I like that. Don't quote that to one another. But that's a pretty good verse. I think it actually gets to the spirit of what the ESV was saying, what that verse was saying, what Solomon was saying. And that is your application for today. That is your application for today. Have a sober respect for the power of your words and don't talk too much. That's on your next slide. Have a, sober, have a sober respect. Just kidding, it's not, but it's in your fill in the blanks. I'm getting used to this, you guys. I'm just trying to use these slides, and I'm getting you. Duke's back there laughing at me. All right, it is your fill in the blanks, so do pay attention. Have a re sober respect for the power of your words, and don't talk too much. Now we're going to go through a handful of Proverbs that speaks to this, just so you believe me that this is actually a biblical thing. You ready? Proverbs 21, 23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. How many of you know that the easiest way to get into trouble is through your speech? You can get into trouble faster than, <laughs> so fast, through the things that you say. Learning to restrain your speech is a mark of godliness and it will keep you out of a lot of unnecessary suffering biting your tongue is a spiritual discipline let's go to the next one again nlt a gossip goes around telling secrets so don't hang around with chatterers <laughs> chatterers Let's go to the next one. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. This is really good. Even a fool who keeps, his, who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. I have been on these committees, and I am on committees for various things that I'm definitely... I'm definitely surrounded by people who are incredibly intelligent. And um, one of the things that I, one of my tricks is I don't talk much. When you don't talk much, when you're in a room full of people, like it's mysterious if you, if you don't say a whole lot. It's the people who jump in and have to tell you everything they know about a something that you're talking about, that's probably some insecurity, that's probably grasping for power, and you look really intelligent if you don't speak, you look mysterious, like, huh, what's your take on this? And then you start, and then they ask me, and I start talking, it's like, oh, okay, never mind, what were you guys saying about? <laughs> now, and apparently our shepherd team, I haven't learned to exercise this skill yet, so again, it's something that I'm working on, but if you are in a committee, if you're in a group, if you're in a room where everyone's talking and you don't know a lot about what they're talking about, don't feel, don't feel like you need to speak. This is just really good practical stuff. 
be quiet. You actually appear more intelligent by restraining your speech. What about Proverbs 18.2? A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. This verse alone gives us a lifetime of instruction as to how we can be countercultural. Just because you have an opinion doesn't mean you need to share it. And we are in a time and in an age where anyone who has an opinion on anything feels the incessant need to let as many people as possible know what their opinion is about it. What if a mark of Christian maturity was saying, tell me more about that, instead of let me tell you? I, uh, a couple years ago, we were, I was in a, a circle of pastors, and some of the spouses were there, and one of my friends who's a pastor, his wife, I think her aunt, had just passed away, and she was really, really struggling with it. And so we were sharing, you know, parts of our life that were a challenge at the time, and, and she shared that her aunt had just passed away, and she's in a circle of pastors, so of course, all of us have a verse. So we're going around and we're, we're telling her how she should be feeling. We're, we're giving her the spiritual answer to her grief. You know, because we understand and we know what she needs to hear. And at the end, the last person who hadn't spoke yet was a pastor. And he just schooled all of us in a very loving way. And he wasn't trying to. He just... We were all done talking, and she was just like, yeah, she was being polite, like, yeah, thank you. Yep, I know I'll see her again one day. Yep, I know she's no longer in pain. Yep, I know we, we grieve, but she's joyful. Yep, thank you, thank you. And then Jack from Kansas leans forward and says, tell me about your aunt. And she just lost it and said, you know, she was... She was the one. She was the woman in my life that brought out the best in me. And she just began to talk and talk and talk. And we were just like, ugh. Yep. Thank you for that reminder. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, which is hearing the heart and thought of another human being, but only in expressing his opinion. Maybe for us, some of us, a practice might be, be a part of a conversation where you know good, wise counsel and you don't give it. You just ask questions. Now, here's, here's the other side of that. Sometimes when you go in intent on listening to someone, instead of just going in with your guns loaded with several verses and several ways to explain the gospel, sometimes when you listen, you hear in their pain and you sense from the Spirit a door opening where they are now receptive to hearing about the hope that you have in Christ. 
And that's when I think we can feel freedom to say, well, let me tell you what I've experienced in Jesus. Our method of evangelism is just, you shut up, I'm going to talk. I think what we see in Jesus is, I'm, I'm asking questions, I'm attentive, I'm looking for openness, and then I'll speak, and then you have the opportunity to reject or receive the invitation. I think that's probably the better way. Go into the conversation wanting more to understand than to spout our opinion. Here's another good one. Psalm, uh, Proverbs 29, 11, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. The most damage I've ever done relationally has always been when I was venting my anger. It's always better to wait until the storm of your emotions pass before speaking. And one thing that's been very helpful for me is learning to take that raw emotion, the storm of my emotion, to God in prayer before addressing the person. Because it takes the edge of bitterness and anger out of your voice. And a lot of those, honestly, a lot of those prayers start with, God, I'm really angry at this person. I want to remain angry at this person. I know that as I begin to talk with you about this, you're going to turn my heart, but I want to stay angry at this person. So, fine, you go ahead and turn my heart towards them and make me more gentle and quiet, but I want to rant for a little while, and that's okay. You know, the Psalms give you permission to do that. Don't explode all over the person. You can take what you're feeling exactly as you are to God. He can handle it. He has the emotional intelligence and the stability to handle however you presently are. And if you try to pretend, he'll know. Don't try to act all religious and all good. He knows better. He knows your heart is still angry, bitter. Tell him and say, okay, Help me, even though I don't really want it. Fine. It's hard to do. But the result of that is you create a sense of spaciousness in your heart where you're able to respond to the person rather than just react in anger. You will not be helpful if you go to that person with your storm. That's the classic, you know, wait a night or two before sending the angry email. And maybe you'll discover that you don't even need to send the email. It was more for you. Over the years, the church has come up with all sorts of ways to measure spiritual maturity. Many of them are not biblical. This is nothing new, by the way. Jesus dealt with the same thing. People back then had ways of measuring spiritual maturity that weren't biblical as well. So I want us to imprint on our minds something that the Bible actually shows to be a mark of spiritual maturity. And I do have a slide for this. The ability to restrain your speech for the sake of others is a mark of spiritual maturity. The world teaches us, don't restrain your voice. Use it to promote your, yourself. This is that classic line in Goodwill Hunting where Tom Cruise asks Demi Moore, why are you always giving me your resume? And she says, because I want you to think I'm good. I want you to think I'm a good lawyer. Pay attention to how you and how you hear others 
in various ways giving you their resume. This is very apparent when you get a group of pastors together because we are really good about doing that in a way that sounds spiritual. We have ways of giving one another our resume, and everyone does. Pay attention to the ways that you use speech to promote yourself. That's what the world teaches us. But if you have faith in Christ, one of his promises is he will bestow honor on you. He will promote you. That's Psalm 8411. So the world teaches us don't restrain your voice, use it to promote yourself. The self-righteous religion purses tells us don't restrain your voice, use it to demote others. Use it to express how you're glad you're not like this other group of people. You're glad you're not like them. You're glad you're better off than them. Self-righteous religiosity is always concerned with demoting, condemning other people. Instead of, instead of prayerfully engaging with people to bring them to the glorious truth of Christ, self-righteous religiosity in demoting other people is the first sign that we've forgotten that we were saved by the grace of Jesus and nothing in us deserved it, just like nothing in anyone else deserved it. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? You were given grace. Jesus pursued you when you were his enemy, and he does the same for everyone. There's nothing that you did to earn his favor. He's done it all. The world teaches us, don't restrain your voice, promote yourself. Self-righteous religiosity teaches us, don't restrain, restrain your voice, demote others. Jesus teaches us, if you have faith in me, you don't have to do either of those. You don't have to promote yourself because I will give you the influence and the honor that I want you to have. So you don't have to spend your life trying to build yourself up, chasing it. Just be who you are in every moment, and I'll take care of all that stuff. It's okay for you to want some of that, but I'll give you what I want to give you, and you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to chase it. Jesus teaches us if you have faith in me, you don't have to demote others. I will take care of them as well. Your responsibility is to embody the goodness of Jesus and to proclaim the goodness of Jesus and to proclaim the way of salvation that you yourself have experienced. I want us to just notice this week how much of our language is being used to promote ourselves or demote others. Because some of us have been conditioned towards self-promotion. We lean that way. It's a really difficult thing. Unless you're really paying attention, you don't see how you do it. But it's painful. <laughs> we have been conditioned to let other people know what we're really good at or how much we know about something. Some of us have been conditioned to demote others, so much of our language is complaining about other people. 
demoting other people, gossiping about other people, grumbling about other people. There is a way to speak to one another where we are neither promoting ourselves or complaining about other people. There is a way to do it. And I think that is the pathway to spiritual maturity. The tongue is a very, very powerful thing. This is scary. I'm walking away from this, so I'm not going to say much. I don't want to get too far away from my notes because I don't have anything else written down there. So I'm just going to say the tongue is a very powerful thing. Pay attention this week to how you use your speech. Don't tell other people how they're using their speech. Pay attention to how you use your speech. In what ways are you promoting yourself? In what ways are you demoting other people? That's all. We're going to get into how you can use your speech in a good way in this part of the passage. But for now, just notice those things. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to music team come forward. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.